Where is UCLA's edge against Oregon State coming up in the big matchup against the Beavers Saturday? Where is their edge? Is there one? And will UCLA and Arizona actually continue to play after this year? They should. I hope. Maybe some rumors, some whispers, some actual talk about it at the media day. The last one ever, truly, in the Pac-12. Let's digest this on Locked on UCLA. You are Locked on UCLA, your daily podcast on the UCLA Bruins. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to this edition of Locked On UCLA. I'm Zach Anderson, the Oxheimer. Thanks for making the show this episode your first listen each and every day. It's free wherever you get your podcast, and it's available on YouTube. So like, comment, subscribe, download. Thanks for your support every day. As we've been teasing the matchups, we even talked a little bit of UCLA hoops, and we're going to talk some more about that here today. This episode is brought to you by Jace Medical, where you can get $20 off of these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical by using the code LOCKEDON at checkout on jacemedical.com. So I teased, does UCLA have an edge against Oregon State? Do the Beavers, on the flip side, have something that UCLA does not have? They are a little bit better, or the Bruins and the Beavers, at something that the other is not. But in the grand scheme of things, this unique matchup, which doesn't bring an opposition, right? A, a battle between like UCLA and Washington State, a team who wanted to throw the football, not as good of a defense where the Bruins had the good defense, they run the football. These are two teams that are very similar in nature. You're going to be splitting hairs. Yes, you can look at certain factors, the UCLA offensive line, a younger quarterback. You can look at Oregon State's secondary. That could be a bit, a bit of a scary thing. But overall, when it comes to, I was reading this article in the Oregonian, Oregonian Live, written about the the Oregon State side of things. And, and the title of the article was, this is no disrespect to anybody, it just says, Oregon State ready to play our brand of football, brand of football in quotes, in battle against UCLA's dominant defense. So their brand of football. Well, obviously, there's a lot more respect going around to UCLA's defense, especially from myself included. But what's funny is when I think about this brand of football, right, UCLA's identity it's the same thing of sorts, right? Both teams come in wanting to run the football, needing to run the football to be successful. They need solid defensive play. The Bruins' defense, better than Oregon State's. On paper, coming in the year, you might have thought the flip, what's turned out to be the numbers, the stats, and the eye test is actually UCLA's defense is better coming in, but they're going against a pretty solid rushing attack. And what the article, what some might say, a very vicious offensive line that Oregon State says. It doesn't say vicious. It says best offline uh, offensive line in the Pac-12. I'm not sure if I'm ready to go that far. I haven't studied every single offensive line, but I do know that the O-line for the Beavers will give UCLA trouble in terms of dissecting them as much the Bruins have with their front seven as they've done in recent weeks. Does that mean that's going to negate the UCLA pass rush or top-tier rush defense based on the numbers coming in this? I don't think so. I do think the Bruins can slow down the Beavers. But completely wiping out a running game like the Bruins did against the Cougars, like they've done against other teams, I'm not so sure. For Oregon State, a team that was out without some defenders, apparently a little bit leaky in the secondary, can the Bruins protect Dante Moore enough rolling out and find the tight ends running at the seams. 
Will it be a big play that J. Michael Sturdivant once, twice, maybe three times in this game? Do we get Logan Loya making big plays? There's big names that are going to come into this game and make a big play. But overall, the edge, you can point to the UCLA's quarterback, can Dante Moore play this game without turnovers? Is that the edge? If the Bruins play turnover-free football, do they win this game handily? I, I don't think this game will be an easy match by any stretch of the imagination for either side because their identity is simply based on the same thing. Run the football, play some good defense. You've got a quarterback, one a younger quarterback in UCLA's Dante Moore who's shown promise but has been mistake-prone in some inopportune times that's put UCLA down in the last couple of Pac-12 games. And then you've got DJ who comes in highly rated from SoCal, from St. John Bosco, went to Clemson. It didn't really work out over there as a Tiger in with Dabo Sweeney, comes over to Oregon State and isn't exactly needed to be the, the savior of sorts leading the offense, but he does need to play a good game for the Beavers to beat the Bruins. So you look at who has the edge. Well, the Bruins have the edge defensively, but the Beavers might have an edge in an area where UCLA struggles to protect a quarterback who can be a little bit skittish facing some pressure sometimes, makes a, a wrong decision that can change the game, that is where the edge defensively might lie with Oregon State. But an overall defense, UCLA has that, has the numbers to back it up now, a performance against Washington State. Now they've got to change it and make sure they shore up and do not allow Oregon State's run to come through and dominate in this game. For Oregon State, I'm not sure that DJ is someone I'm truly scared of throwing a lot of passes. He's coming off his best beeper performance, five touchdowns, completing the ball well over 60% of the time, I believe close to 70 if I did the math correct, against Cal, but this is a different defense. The home game will be an important factor for Oregon State, and everybody, including myself, was put on, wow, alert, when the Bruins completely dominated Washington State's passing attack that shredded at times Oregon State's defense in their 38-35 loss to the Cougs in Pullman earlier in the 23 season. The difference is, the Bruins, can they protect more, give them enough time, and can you find and make the right reads against the Oregon State defense against what will be heavy, heavy pressure? Maybe the Beavers haven't shown that, but they will bring it based on what UCLA has failed to protect in the past couple of weeks. That is the key. Can UCLA protect more, and who's going to take care of the physicality, the simple things in this game will make the difference. Obviously look at penalties and special teams, missed or made field goals. It's going to be who executes their brand of football. Both teams come in with a very similar identity, very similar net need out of this game. Both teams needs to win this game to stay in the PAC 12 race. Two losses can still do it. It can still do it, but you need to win over a top tier team. UCLA with this win can set themselves up for a successful look at the schedule down the line, which can lead them into a lot more momentum, a lot more hype down the back end of the schedule leading into November based on how the schedule lines out after the Oregon State game. The Beavers have a much tougher schedule, Washington, Oregon, everything in between. The edge is very minute. I know you can go, <coughs> excuse me, my goodness, goodness gracious there. Apologies, but you can look a little bit deeper into some numbers, but overall, these teams do the same things Generally pretty well, it's the Bruins' pass block against the Beavers' secondary that will truly make the difference in this game. The ability for UCLA to protect Dante Moore versus Oregon State's ability to take away the football if Moore makes a mistake. That will generally decide this game 
whether we want to or not. One fan base may be lamenting their secondary that will be returning most likely two starting corners that missed the game against Cal that gave in a defense that gave up 40 points to the Golden Bears. The Bruins doing things. We saw some changes coming out of the bye with Moore's ability to roll out. Moore talking to the media saying, yeah, I'm telling Chip Kelly now, hey, I'm not sure if this is a play that suits me. And according to the youngster, the head coach obliges, and they're trying to find ways to make the freshman quarterback, who is not a true dual threat like Chip Kelly is used to from his Oregon days, coming to the, the star with DTR, looking to make that uh, a sex, successful offensive game plan around what is a very good young quarterback, but still needs to learn more lessons and develop as the season goes on. And the quicker he does, the scarier the Bruins will be when it comes to maybe, just maybe, with a win, competing for a Pac-12 championship. But it starts with executing, protecting more, limiting mistakes. And the edge there for the Bruins is, hey, they might be able to do that a little bit better than the secondary for Oregon State. Otherwise, Oregon State can run right through UCLA simply from dominating from field position, and that might decide this game. That's all we're going to talk about today, UCLA football-wise, because we're going to get to some Thursday keys, some Friday keys. We're going to get all that if you're an everydayer, so stay tuned for that. Next, UCLA basketball. The men, they went out to Vegas. Mick Cronin went out, threw out some funny one-liners. Even Arizona's coach, Tommy Lloyd, teasing different things. Some other coaches teasing other things about the future of Pac-12 basketball or future of scheduling rivalries in the non-conference. What does that mean? I'll tell you next on Locked On UCLA. Let's tell you more about Jace Medical because everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected because there's different things that happen in life you don't expect. Jace Medical offers the Jace case. What is the Jace case? It provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use and gives you peace of mind. So you don't have to hope for access to medication in an emergency. Jace Medical makes sure you have the medication in hand. And Jace Medical is simple. They handle everything from the online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. Do not get caught unprepared. All you have to do, get $20 off on these life-saving antibiotics today from Jace Medical by using the code locked on at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's Jace Medical, J A S E Medical.com. Cruising on, second segment of the Locked On UCLA podcast, Media Days, which means we got to cover it. It's the last one ever in the Pac 12 as we know it, featuring UCLA, SC, all the teams going to the ACC, Big 10, Big 12, and then the two Pac, Pac 2, Big 2, whatever they're going to call themselves, Washington State and Oregon State. So we'll see how that plays out. They're all hoping that basketball gets the same love and nostalgia going into the final year. According to LA Times beat reporter for the Bruins in Ben Bolch, the missing presence in this one was no Bill Walton, who would lovingly say, the conference of champions, over and over during every broadcast that he does. And so heartwarmingly loves his UCLA basketball, not during a broadcast though, and loves his Pac-12 Pac-10, whatever it always used to be, building up to all these teams, and he loves his basketball. He was not there, which signals the end, as it's already been since UCLA and SC bolted for the Big Ten, then Washington, Oregon, then the Four Corners, and then Stanford and Cal, as we've seen this whole conference disintegrate. Overall, the Bruins had Bona and Mara as the two players represented in the preseason Pac-12 selections, and then UCLA... They're picked to finish third in the conference this year, a team that's sitting outside some preseason top 25s, a unique six, seven, maybe eight, at highest, maybe a five in preseason bracketology with so many newcomers 
a lot of teams are giving the benefit of the doubt to UCLA being a good team, being one of those top three teams, yet UCLA is not getting picked to finish first, which they were a season ago, came out dominant going 18-2 and and doing pretty well in the Pac-12 tournament when they were pretty beat up. Yet here they are, Arizona's picked to finish first, then SC, and UCLA also garnering four first-place votes is finished third. When Mick Cronin was asked about, hey, what are my thoughts? Eh, I could care less about preseason polls. I'm cared about more that my girlfriend picks up something good for food that I'm going to grill when I get back home later today on my private plane. So that's what McCronin's thinking about. That is a very, very paraphrased, loose quote of what he said. But if you go look at the Times, you go look at what he said, he said, yeah, I basically don't care about preseason polls, which some of you listening, watching might not care about. But yet, that's where the consensus is. Arizona with Love, with Balo, with some big players, SC with their youngsters, their returners with Collier, potentially Bronny James, if he's healthy enough to come back after the scary cardiac cardiac arrest situation, the Bruins with all their newcomers. It's going to be a, a unique battle atop the conference and maybe some dark horses that we just don't expect. Overall, we're just going to have to wait and see what UCLA looks for and looks like during the season, November 6th, the opener, and then how they build from the Maui Invitational to those late mid-December, late December conference non-conference games, and then how they look against the Oregon schools to start off Pac-12 play for the final time in 23 to 24. The most important things that I saw come out of these media days were Tommy Lloyd speaking a little bit more about Mick Cronin, the future of the UCLA-Arizona basketball rivalry. Remember, this season, they were not supposed to play twice. The Bruins weren't necessarily supposed to go to the McHale Center. They wiped that out, changed the schedule, did everybody, so the Bruins didn't have to play Colorado twice. Maybe a sneaky save there. But the Bruins do have to go to Tucson for what will be one rowdy atmosphere during the year in 24, and then host Arizona later in the year in the penultimate game in the Pauley Pavilion to wrap up Pac-12 play before playing Arizona State. So the future of it, Tommy Lloyd says he's looking forward to scheduling that in the future. Mick Cronin said, echoed it in a much lesser extent. So we might see UCLA-Arizona in the future. Battle of Big Ten versus Big 12 teams. Maybe they're going to make that challenge and just have the Pac-12 teams formerly battle each other in some funny, goofy story down later whenever we have those showdowns, challenges, brackets, when you have those conferences and those scheduling alliances play one another. So there is an emphasis for both UCLA and Arizona. Coaches both spoke about it to varying degrees, Tommy Lloyd and McCronin, that they want to continue it, have to see how the conference schedule looks out. What do they have non-conference obligation-wise first between their conferences, between what contracts they've already signed that we just don't know about yet, that's not public. And then UCLA, Arizona, they got to make it happen. Not on some neutral floor, home and home, and make it happen consistently, whether it's going to McHale, whether it's going back to Poly Pavilion, they are emphatic about making that happen. So that means when the Bruins head to the Big Ten, UCLA are going to have a lot of travel miles. They're going to build up the mileage when they go on the road. But maybe in the non-conference, they'll stay a lot closer to home. More Vegas trips, more UCLA-Arizona, maybe sneaking a Stanford and a Cal trip for those non-conference games. So the early part of the schedule, less travel before the travel builds heading for the rest of the season. Those are the biggest things. Washington State's Kyle Smith was quoted as saying, well, I'd love to keep the Pac-12 together, add and build and keep the name, and then welcome these schools when they come back in 20 years because it's ridiculous that they're traveling so much. 
which is a unique sentiment, right? We're so excited. I'm kind of excited. I am excited. I think you might be. We all are maybe a little devastated at the end of the Pac-12. Can't fault Martin Germond and UCLA Athletics for making the move that it did. The first of what was many domino effects across college athletics of teams changing conferences, conferences realigning, and then conferences like the Pac-12 practically crumbling before our very eyes, unlike anything we've seen before. What the Washington State side of things were saying was, hey, we, we can welcome them back because Mick Cronin even talked about this. Hey, Chip Kelly's already said football, its own division. Everything's been made about money and football and TV deals. The traveling, all the Olympic sports, everything that's going to hurt moving forward, maybe they welcome schools back for certain sports, and we might see these teams' ex-conference foes, some other, more than others, down the line. Now, that's a unique sentiment. I'd you know echo it in, in some sort of, hey, what does it look like in 20 years from now? We know the next few years of football schedules. I'm not sure how all these other sports are going to look like when they have to build conference tournaments, when they have to build divisions and schedules for regular season games, matches, everything in between, meets, every sport. But it is interesting that those are the biggest storylines. It's sentimental and it's sad that the conference is pretty much dying. UCLA, Arizona, they're going to try and play in years to come. Hopefully they make that a consistent thing. And then two, maybe a foreshadowing. What happens in the future? Not necessarily fully basketball, but every sport. Will there just be a Pac-12 or some new branded, newly branded conference that remember the WAC used to be a conference. That used to be a big thing. And still obviously is a conference. Remember the Boise States, all these teams in the WAC. Then there's the Mountain West that took a lot of these WAC teams. Other teams jumped to the Power Five, Power Six in certain conferences. So it is possible for a conference to somewhat revive itself from the dead of sorts. Yet I wonder what the next 15, 20, 30 years will be when the bill gets high, the bill gets much higher, and then they're either going to have to cut sports, do something more to benefit the athletes financially, as Mick Cronin was talking about, and then three, how are they going to handle the travel the mental health, the uh, the academic side of things too, and just the lack of revenue they're going to get in other sports that don't generate money in, in other sports, which is just the truth. Football and even and only March Madness are the things that generate money for most schools, if anything, depending on where they're at. So looking down the line, I wonder what it looks like. That was something that Kyle Smith talked about in the Pac-12 media days. Other than that, UCLA, they brought a Dembona, Lesser Stefanovic went to Pac-12 media days. Nothing too crazy in quotes other than this is a Pac-12 conference full of big men. So the Bruins were trying to go big. They got much bigger. Remember, in 22-23, they were almost an undersized team. Now the Bruins are an oversized team with Bona, with Mara, with Buyang Tunjel. The wings are big, right? Everybody is taking a level up in terms of the size at almost every position, length-wise, athleticism-wise, the skill, the growth, the tenacity, the toughness, the understanding, and the IQ of the game from Mick Cronin's point of view with his freshman trying to understand his defensive philosophies, those are things that we don't know what this Bruins team has until they take the floor and build as a team. But for now, the Bruins are a very big team in an oversized conference that is crumbling. I wonder what it'll look like. The Bruins are picked to finish third. A lot of questions, not too many answers at a Pactual Media Day for UCLA men. But hey, UCLA, Arizona, they might play. Speaking of playing the UCLA women, top three in the country, not picked to finish first in the Pac-12 women's side of things. 
Number three team in the country, but not picked to finish first. Let's analyze that to wrap up today's Locked On UCLA episode. It's time to tell you more about prize picks because they are the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports, especially in North America. When you decide to put in your entries, you can do that in less than a minute, close to a minute when submitting your picks and entries. All you have to do is instead of battling thousands of other players, pros and sharks and everything in between, you pick more or less two to six players with stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. It's between you and the numbers. You're not playing all these other crazy experts that ever other places have hired. No, you're playing the numbers, which is why entries are easy. And then, hey, they offer weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. Each Tuesday, Price Picks offers discounts that select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. So you want to check that out. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on college. Use the code locked on college for a first deposit match up to hundred dollars. Again, pricepicks.com slash locked on college. The code is locked on college to get a first deposit match up to hundred dollars. Daily fantasy sports made easy with price picks. Wrapping up Locked On UCLA today, we're talking the UCLA women because we got to get hyped about them too. I know the football team, they got a big game, men's basketball, a lot of question marks. But the women are the number three team in the country according to two separate polls. ESPN, Athletic, I haven't seen any others. The women, they are getting a lot of love based on them bringing their leading score and rebounder back in Charisma Osborne. You bring in some size and in the post in Lauren Betts, who was the number one recruit in the class of 22, you pair that with the leading number two recruit in Kiki Rice. And then you've got rising sophomores, another returning senior in Cameron Brown, Corey Close, looking to bring this program to its first ever Final Four and win its first Pac-12 championships in the tournament and regular season since 99 and the early 2000s for one or the other. And yet here they are, a team very, very good in a conference on the women's side. It's very stacked. It was in 22 to 23, you can go look at the UCLA's, the, the Stanford's, the SC's, Utah specifically. And that's where the Bruins sit a little short of what might be a first place finish, according to the media, right? UCLA gets a lot of love nationally based on what they've brought in. Corey Close continues to bring in big time recruits and yet, and even hitting the portal, the Bruins are actually picked to finish second based on the preseason Coaches poll, UCLA just seven points shy, right behind Utah. UCLA picked to finish second to Utah in the media poll. The first place votes, pretty close. Seven to three in the coaches poll, 12 to 10 in the media poll. UCLA falling short in both categories. Remember, Utah, they're bringing back the player. They're bringing back so much talent, practically their whole starting five for the Utes. A team that was hosting regionals. Very close to going extremely deep in the tournament. So that will be UCLA's biggest competition. They do have to play Stanford. They get the, they'll get they get to play USC later, who's picked to finish in the middle of the pack despite having one of the top recruits in the country. Everybody still expects Stanford to compete despite losing Lauren Betts. It'll be Cameron Brink and Tara Vandeveer leading that squad. Yet UCLA, their biggest competition, they're looking up preseason-wise at Utah, who is ranked behind UCLA, when it came to all the national polls. So what is more the localized thing? The reporters, the coaches know, well, Utah's very good. So despite all the love for UCLA getting top three, top four love, they're not even viewed within the own, their own conference to be the best team heading into this season, which can mean something completely different heading into March because these teams, two teams wouldn't play each other right away. It will be a big test 
for the Bruins to beat the Utes, to go knock them out in the regular season, maybe a, the final Pac-12 tournament ever. Because the Bruins, they played Washington State in the Pac-12 tournament final. Not Utah, not Stanford in the final, even though they knocked off Stanford. The Bruins played Washington State. So whoever flicks it over, flicks it on the offseason and how the Bruins develop, get much better shooting on the outside, get interior defense to handle the size and the strength that Utah can bring because they were able to ha- get easy buckets against the Bruins at times uh, a year ago where UCLA was close to beating Utah. They just need to find ways to close out games that they could not do at the end of the 22-23 season, the fourth quarter, third quarter of games, which it's a broken record, but against Stanford, against all these, against Arizona, which they blew a game, against Utah, against South Carolina, they competed the first time before the Sweet 16 battle. A team that is certainly talented enough and good enough to compete with the elite best teams in the country. They've got the talent. They've got the returners, people who have proven it on this stage, even shorn up a weakness that they had in the previous season. Now it's out to them to go prove that they're the best team in the conference, best team in the West, and that they can go win a national championship, something the UCLA women have never done in their women's basketball program history. And this is a team poised to do so. How can Corey Close make those in-game adjustments, make this team better? In the end, it might just be simple intangibles. How well does the team shoot? Can they out-rebound teams and play very good defense to negate the lack of outside shooting that they might not have at certain times? And will they suffer late-game collapses? Or is this team a veteran team with freshmen acting, freshmen into sophomores acting like seniors, and the fifth super seniors coming in and playing their lights out? And how big in the impact does Lauren Betts make? Because the Bruins had four first-teamers. They had four all-Pac-12 nominees. You had Charisma Osborne, Kiki Rice, and then you had Lauren Betts alongside Emily Bessoir. Two key people in the post between Bessoir and her shooting ability, and then Betts and her physicality down low, defensively and offensively, that can change the dynamic, what we think about UCLA women's basketball in a positive light. We hope that change, we hope that looks the part, actually plays out on the court. Until then, we're waiting for November because UCLA football, basketball, men's and women's, should be an exciting beginning of one season and the end of another as we brace for this interchanging crossover season. All right, so let's get locked and loaded. I'm Zach Anderson, Yox Simonson. This is the end of today's episode of Locked On UCLA. Thanks for tuning in. Bruins fans, hey, throwback Thursday, all these fun segments coming in for Locked On UCLA. Stay tuned for more. Hit that subscribe button, download, like, comment, review for all the episodes, and thanks for your support. Hands up, Bruins fans. Eight clap time, baby. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, U, C, L, A. UCLA fight, fight, fight. This has been Locked on UCLA. Go Bruins.